Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Amen. Amen. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. In verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from the right, turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. As we hear these words to Joshua, there's really, before we jump into uh, the application of it, just understand the context of where we're at. Joshua, of course, as we saw there in verse 1 and 2, he was Moses' assistant. He was called by God, uh, we see even in the book of Numbers, and you can make some references back in the book of Numbers chapter 13, verse 8, were introduced to Joshua. But actually, before he was Joshua, he had the name Hosea. Hosea is Hebrew for salvation. But in Numbers chapter 13, if you go forward to verse 16, we see that for, for, uh, for Hosea, he would have a name change where God already was beginning to do a work there to name him Joshua, Joshua, or, you know, what was, uh, is the Hebrew version of the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, Yeshua, the Lord is salvation. In Numbers chapter 27, we see that God appointed Joshua to be the successor. So there was already an appointing on the life of Joshua, even before the moment we just read. There's this moment where, where God is calling Joshua to, to, to take the children of Israel into the conquered land, or into the promised land, to go and conquer the promised land. But reversing just a little bit, where did they come from? Well, we know that prior to this, that they were slaves, the nation of Israel, the promised nation of God, were slaves in Egypt. Slaves in Egypt. And God called up a leader, Moses, and to stand before Pharaoh, and they were delivered out of their bondage of slavery. And for us even to picture this, this bondage of sin that we are, are, are caught in here on this side of heaven, there's this picture even for the nation of Israel to be delivered out of that bondage, out of slavery. But a two-week journey is how long it would have take to, taken to get from, the, from, the, from Egypt to the promised land 
Unfortunately, there was a bad report that came out when they sent spies, one leader from each tribe of the 12 tribes, Joshua being one of them. But out of the 12 tribes, 10 came back with a negative report. And as a result, there was a wandering for 40 years. A two-week journey turned into a uh, a 40-year circuit. But you can look at the life of Joshua. You can see that even Joshua being one of those that came back with a positive report, a positive report to say, we can do this. Although there's giants in the land, we can overtake them. That's kind of where we're at as we look at the book of Joshua. And before we jump back in in a little bit more detail, I want us to to recognize something about a battle we face. Because Joshua was being called into a battle, into a conquest. And for us, there's a very real battle that, that we face. And as we you know, think about this study and how to apply it to our life and what God wants to use this study in, in here and now, it's this. It's to break down false narratives in our life. It's to break down uh, the wrong perspective when we go through trial and difficulty. And it's to meet us in the place of where we're at, of strongholds and struggles in our life. And I want to talk about false narratives really quick. Because I believe that there is a false expectation that people outside of being a follower of Christ have placed on, on church on, and on Christians. As if we, we are expected to be, or they think that we have this persona that we're holier than thou. Or, you know, if somebody hears that you're a Christian, they think, well, you've got it all figured out. You think you have it all figured out. And if we're not careful, you think of that same expectation that's put upon us as Christians and believers you know, we can start to, to, to believe those type of things. And not necessarily that we think that or say that, but we can start to live like that. We can start to live in a way as if I have it all together. You, you think about just sometimes, you know, if you're in a place of struggle or difficulty, someone asks you how you're doing. It's, all, it's easy, even coming into a church, right? It's easy to put on our good, you know, Christian face and, and to say, okay, yeah, I've got it all together. But in reality, There's a lot of hard and difficult things going on. I bring that up because you'll notice in the scripture, Joshua was commanded three times, be strong and courageous. And although God had done great things through him previous to this, we see that there there must have been some fear and timidity that he was facing in this new venture. And, And for Joshua, if he wouldn't have been humble and submissive before the Lord to acknowledge that there was a fear that there was a potential that he could mess up, even as Moses, to, to have a shortcoming and a failure. He may have missed the best that God had for him. May have missed the best that God had for him. And, you know, for us as Christians, we have to look and say, hey, there's a reality that we experience trials, that, that we go through relationship issues, that if you're married, you know that marriage doesn't come without strife and problem on occasion, that we're faced with temptation, that we have struggles with our mental health, maybe anxieties and depressions or other things, that we can have stress and will stress about finances and difficulties at work, that we get sick, that our loved ones get sick, that death is real and death is devastating and it, and it brings this grief into our heart. We can even battle with sin and major sin struggles. And when you look at that, it's, it's a picture of a group that is far from having it all together. And what does it do for the outside world is it just gives them more ammunition, ammunition to say, well, that's why I don't follow Christ. But here's the reality. In the midst of all those things that we said and all the things that I mentioned, 
The reality is, God wants to give us a perspective of hope and victory through all of those things. A perspective of hope and victory. And we got to be careful in this false narratives in our mind where we can start to think of things like this, like, oh, I'm, I'm just a bad Christian doing everything wrong. Or you start to question your salvation or, or wonder, does God, is he even there and does he even hear my prayer? Or the, the very damaging faith crisis, the question if God is even real. You know, those are things that we can face in this life and when difficulties come that just challenge this thought. Because there's a term that I came across recently in my time and devotion time in the book of Job. And in the book of Job, we know, um, for most that have studied the Bible or read the book of Job, you know Job was a man of God, blameless and upright, but had these devastating difficulties that hit his life. And what, what I, the term that, I, uh, that, I, that came across in that study time was we all have a formal theology, an understanding about God, what we think about God, and what we would even declare to be true. But what God, then what happens when a difficulty comes or a challenge comes or a circumstance comes our way, then we see our functioning theology. Our functioning theology is the way we live out what we believe. I hope and trust that today the Holy Spirit's going to line those two things up. Our, our formal theology and our functioning theology. That what I say I believe is depictive of how I live my walk. But the, the thing is, we have to be in a place of hope. We have to understand the confidence that, have, that we have with hope. And, and the word hope, you'll see it in the title, facing difficulties with a hopeful perspective. Our, well, our Eng, modern English word for hope actually conveys a level of doubt. Think about how we use the word hope. When it comes to weather, well, I hope it doesn't snow this week. But think about that. And the way we say that, it conveys that it may or may not snow. There's a level of doubt. If you're a sports fan, see, see a, a Bengals jersey up here. Sorry to call you out. But, you know, I'm sure we're pretty confident who he's rooting for next week. Right? And he hopes the Bengals win. And they've had a good playoff. But there is a level of doubt even in that, that they may or may not. Right? Or you can hope, you know, you think about a, a loved one, somebody that, that's, you know, struggling with sickness or you're struggling with sickness. You can say, I hope I get better. But it conveys doubt. Now, in, in the Bible, there, there's the word for hope that's used both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is a word that doesn't give any room for doubt. The word hope from a biblical perspective doesn't give room for any doubt. And I don't think that's wrong that we use our word hope uh, to have a wishful thought or an optimistic viewpoint, but the, what the Bible's word of hope is different than our definition of hope. If you take notes, you can write down Psalm chapter 16, verse 9. I'd encourage you to do the word study to find that word hope in the original Hebrew. And in the original Hebrew, look at the definition, and you'll find that that word hope speaks of confidence, security, trust, and expectancy. And then you can go to the New Testament which was written, primarily, was written in the Greek. And you can look at a verse like Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Find that word hope and do a word study in the original Greek and you'll see that it speaks to the same confident expectation and an assurance. Confident expectation and an assurance. Those words leave no room for doubt. It's not like our modern English word, but it's this place of security, even as we read in the psalm, refuge, promise. But the opposite of hope is when we think things are pointless, 
of no benefit, impossible, or maybe just the word straight up hopeless. So as you think about the area of difficulty maybe you're facing today, a false narrative that you believed, a lie that you believed or fallen victim to, I want you to lay those things before God in this study as we go through the word of God. Really allow the Holy Spirit to reveal those things and to bring victory in it. But come back to the uh, first verse of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 1. Let's take a little bit deeper look into the life of Joshua here. Because it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, Now therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. It's important to know that this is a historical account, a literal historical account. Joshua was a military leader, a commander for the nation of Israel, a man that was called to take up the torch in the mantle of Moses, a literal historical account. And so when you read through the book of Joshua, I would would encourage you to be careful and exhort you to be careful in any place in the Bible to just look at it as completely allegorical. And just only with deeper spiritual, because we're reading of a historical account. Now, there are spiritual implication and application for sure. Because the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 recounts all of the time of them in, in, in slavery, uh, to being in the wilderness, and all the way up to the point where they get ready to enter the promised land. And it speaks of the shortcomings of Israel, Paul does in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11 and 12. He says that all these things happened to them as examples. They were written for our admonition or for our warning upon to whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So we get a double benefit this morning. We get to study a little bit of the history of our ancestors, but we also get to understand a deep spiritual meaning that's found in here. And this deep meaning and understanding is, that the, is, is really to see some of these different sim, symbolisms of like where they were at, for instance. Uh, where they were at, you can go back to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 34. In verse 8, it tells us where Moses had died. Moses had died in the plains of Moab. And they were there, the children of Israel, for 30 days, says, weeping and mourning. For Moses. Now, Moab, if you're familiar in the scripture, Moab is not just a cool place in Utah, which by the way, I went there a few years back. It's super cool and fun. So not the Moab, Utah, but Moab here in the Bible, we, we see that Moab actually started, the name Moab was a descendant of uh, Lot's, uh, you know, of, a, of, of Lot and his daughter's incestuous relationship. You can read that in the book of Genesis, but there was, you know, of course, when they were delivered out of Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and Lot's wife, uh, you know, looked back and wasn't able to make it out. It, you know, they made it to the mountains in a place of refuge. And then Lot's daughters got him drunk. And then through that, they thought, well, our line won't continue. And through this, uh, these bad decisions, through these bad decisions, there was uh, Moab, one of the sons that was born. They named him Moab. Now, Moab will be symbolic of rebellion, disobedience, and idolatry. You'll see that throughout. And even in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 15, you'll notice that Moab was judged because of this rebellion and disobedience and idolatry. But there's always a place of hope because even in Moab and being in a place like we can look at our life and say, being in a place of rebellion, 
and stubbornness and disobedience and idolatry, you don't have to stay there. That's a lie that the enemy would love for you to believe, to love that, to, for you to believe that you can't make it out of that land, that you're just stuck there, that your consequences are irreversible. But the reality of what Jesus has done for us on the cross is he, it's not for us to be, uh, you know, to be better and to be more righteous. I mean, that's a plan he has for us, but we know the righteousness we have is the righteousness imputed to us, the righteousness that he has credited to us through his death on the cross, through his resurrection and his new life. And, and so when you think about Moab, well, I would direct you to the book of Ruth. You don't have to turn there, but just reference it because Ruth was a Moabitess. And Ruth was delivered out of that land and just has this great story of redemption that even so much, when you read through the genealogy account in the Matthew's gospel, you'll see her name mentioned, that she was there in that book. And so being stuck in Moab isn't a place you have to stay. But Moses, even the name for Moses, there's a symbolism there because Moses represents the law. And although the, you know, the law of God is good and perfect and holy, these instructions and commands, 613 in total that God had given to the nation of Israel through Moses, we know that it, was, it, could, it couldn't get them in to the promised land. It was good and perfect as far as a standard, as far as to hear God's heart and to know who God is and to have a standard of absolute truth. But the reality was they didn't have the power to do those things apart from the strength and sufficiency of God. Where we have to be careful sometimes is when you listen to the wrong voices because there's a voice of our enemy who is very real and he is the deceiver. The devil's not his name, the devil is a title which means slanderer and accuser. Literally, he's a liar. And the reality of lies is, you know, he wants to let you hear something long enough and loud enough that you believe it's true. Even think back to the very first, you know, temptation that he caused there in the Garden of Eden to get Eve to doubt the promise and the command of God. But we don't belong in Moab. So wherever you're at today, when you thought of those struggles and difficulties, just know you don't belong there and don't stay there. As you go into verse 3, there's this promise that God gives to Joshua. As he's bringing them into this, plant, this promised land, he says, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread, I have given to you, as I said to Moses. So he's getting this instruction in the plains of Moab, but God is telling him, I'm bringing you to the promised land, the land of Canaan, the land that I promised essentially back to Abraham. When Abraham and Lot separated and Abraham looked over, God said, hey, that land will be yours, the land of Canaan, which is actually symbolic of, of a promised land. And actually the, the symbolism of the promised land is this. It's a place of spiritual victory and rest. It's a place of victory and rest, the, the promised land. And this is, the, you see the difference that we have Moab, rebellion, disobedience, idolatry, and then we have the promised land, victory and rest. So the devil wants us to settle in Moab, and Jesus, of course, wants us to be in this promised land, this place of victory. I want you to listen to John chapter 10, verse 10. John chapter 10, verse 10, is Jesus declares himself to be the good shepherd he would say this, and then in reference to the enemy of our soul, he calls him a thief. He says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I've come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. So we see the difference of Moab and the promised land. One, a place of 
destruction and defeat and want a place of victory and rest. Jesus says, here's the plan of the enemy of your soul and here's my plan. When you think of that word hope and the confidence that we get to have in hope, you notice in verse three, that it wasn't the wishful thinking type thought. He didn't say, maybe when you get across, you might have some success. No, everywhere you step your foot, Joshua, that land will be yours. And so hope is rooted in the promises of God. It's one of the key points that I wanted to develop today, that just knowing hope is rooted in the promises of God. We're going to see a few of these promises just sprinkled and filtered throughout these nine verses in Joshua. But this, that, that hope that we're looking at, that security and confident assurance, the plan that God has for you, that he doesn't want you to be in a place of hopelessness, or this is pointless, or what's the value, or why do I do this? He wants you in a place of confident security in him, to trust in his promise. And as you think about, you know, that, that thought that I said earlier, that these things were written for our admonition, that we can know, yeah, this is historical account of what God spoke to Joshua. Well, the same is true for us. In our Christian walk, God wants us to have victory. He wants to, to say, like, hey, the struggles that you're having, you think of some of the things we mentioned just in our bulletin with pornography or maybe some things in your marriage or, or whatever it is, God is saying there's a place of victory don't settle for less. Don't settle for Moab. As you go on to verse 4, here's the parameters of what God was promising Joshua. He said, From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. And you can look in the map in the back of your Bible. If you have a study Bible, you'll see it probably right there. There's probably a map right here in your study Bible. But you'll see this desert he speaks of is to the south. And the Lebanon are these mountains to the north. And the Euphrates River is actually where modern-day Iraq is to the east. Side note that they didn't claim all the land that God had promised for them. But then the Mediterranean Sea to the west. And as you think about that, they did go in in this conquest and conquering. They did take a lot of the land, but they didn't take all of the promise. Now, how true is that in our Christian walk? That sometimes as followers of Jesus, that he has so much planned for us, so much more, but we get to a certain place where now become limited. And it's not because we're not saved. That's a lie. It's not because God doesn't want to use us or he ceased, he's, he's done with us. It's a lot of times is we're no longer participating with God and, and the things that he wants to continue to do. We've gotten a place where we're stuck and God doesn't want you to be stuck. He, he wants you to receive all that he has for you. Ephesians 2.10 is such a beautiful verse as it says that God has prepared good works for us in advance that we would walk in them. So just as he gave Joshua these parameters, I want you to know in Ephesians 2.10, God has said, hey, I have all of this for you. But how much are we going to take and receive? That's the question. Are we going to be stuck in a wilderness or defeat, of defeat? Or are we going to pursue into that land of victory? In, in verse 5, he says that no man, here's another promise, right? This hope that's rooted in the promise of God. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. This is so important to know where God is when you're in the midst of a challenge. I, I'll be honest and vulnerable before you today on false narratives because I have a formal theology that is accurate and biblical, that I know God is here right now. 
that God is in all places. He is omnipresent. I can teach about it. I can share about it. I believe it. But there's times that my functioning theology is a little different, that I'll be in the, in the midst of a bad place, maybe mentally or practically, and now all of a sudden, just like even Jesus taught us to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Uh, and, I, and I, you know, just think about how perfect heaven is and just how fallen this world is. And it just feels like, man, God is just distant, millions of miles away. I know he's there, but here's the promise. God doesn't just say, Joshua, go take the land everywhere you place your foot. It will be yours. He doesn't just leave it at that. He says, and I'm with you wherever you go. In perspective in the battle, to have this hopeful perspective, we got to know God is not distant. God is not inactive. He is not apathetic. God cares and is there, and it's tough. Because when you're in a difficulty, many trials, I'm sure, that are just in this room. And I'm sure that that can be a reality for some of us as well, to think, I just don't know where God is in this. I don't know why you're going through what you're going through or what God's going to do through it, but I can assure you this, God is there and he cares, right? For Joshua, I will be with you. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And here's a promise that we get to have as a Christian and as a follower of God, that we can know that we're not working towards victory, but we're working from a place of victory, So we're not just working towards victory. We're fighting from a place of victory. If God, if hope is sure and no level of doubt, when Joshua got this promise, it wasn't maybe. There was no error of doubt in there. So we can say the same as where it's declared in Romans 8 that we are more than conquerors in Christ. You can know that you're not just working towards a victory in your life. God has already given it to you. You just need to walk and participate and receive it. And we've played, it changes that perspective of what true hope is. I just don't just hope this gets better. No, I know, God, you're going to do something through this. I know you have a plan of deliverance through this because he finishes what he starts. He finishes what he starts. God doesn't, you know, this, this book, Ebenezer Stones, God didn't bring them that far to leave them there. You have been faithful thus far. God will not leave us there. He finishes what, we, what he starts. In, in verse 6, it says, To be strong and of good courage, for, this pe- for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. And now we see the first instruction as Joshua is going out into this conquest. The first instruction to a command, you can say, to be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous to go out and receive and, and divide the inheritance of the land. Here's another analogy and symbolism in this section of scripture. With the promised land, I want you to be careful of thinking of the promised land as heaven. Because heaven is a place void of sin and suffering. Heaven, as we see in Revelation 21, it says where there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more suffering. It will be a place of peace and healing for all the nations. So when we see the the promised land, the promised land and the conquest they were going to was a place of battle, that there would be battle. In the Christian walk, it's called spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is real. And and sometimes we, we we lose hope, this assured hope of God. We start to lose that hope because we lose this perspective. 
we lose this perspective uh, of the reality uh, of, of, of the things of God. We lose this perspective of the reality uh, that we're in a battle, that, that there's a spiritual battle all around us. So to be strong and courageous, God has given this instruction to Joshua. He's speaking of strong as his abilities. He's speaking of courage with his mentality. But we know that there's a place that Joshua had to become aware of that he was unable to do those things apart from the, from the sufficiency of God. That this wasn't just, hey, hey, Joshua, you got to go and do this. Because remember, right before that, I'm going to be with you wherever you go. To be strong and of good courageous, we got to recognize that my strength and my courage first starts with a walk and a relationship with the Lord. Strength and courage isn't something I can just do on my own. It will be insufficient. It's not the confident assurance of hope that God promises us. So be strong and courageous. And, and not just from a spiritual sense. If you think about those things of being the, those abilities to go out and to conquer the land, the mentality he needed to have when he conquered the land, I believe God wants all of it. All of it. Spiritual, because there's a spiritual aspect, what I just mentioned, that we got to know my strength and sufficiency comes through him. But also emotional that I need to lay my emotions before God. I think if you're honest, and if I'm honest today, sometimes we come across things in the word that, that are challenging or we struggle with, or maybe we even disagree with. But you've got to take that emotion to the Lord, right? Those emotions and, and, and the physical aspect. So in all areas, God wants it all. Spiritual, emotional, physical. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 gives us an insight to what I mean and what I'm saying here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and, you, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved and blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. As this conquest, this historical conquest was going to happen, Joshua needed that threefold strength, spiritual, emotional, physical. Very important, churches. And you think about strong and courageous. Don't just, you know, don't just think of the spiritual aspect, but think of all areas that God wants to do in your life. And you're going to notice now in verse 7, we see another instruction that he is given to be strong and courageous. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. And here's a place where we see some of the successes, the beginning of the successes of Joshua. As he's being told this, and he'll be told again one more time, we know that Joshua listened to the Lord. What's a blessing is that when you read through the book of Joshua, you'll see with the conquest, Joshua was a strong man of God, with a strong calling of God. That even at the end of the book, in Joshua chapter 24, when he gives this instruction to the people, you choose this day, Joshua 24, 15. You choose this day whom you're going to serve. I'm paraphrasing. Are you going to go back to the plains of Moab? Rebellion, disobedience, and idolatry? Well, you choose whom you're going to serve. But as for me and as for my home, I serve the Lord. And there's this place of what God is going to do requires our participation. God doesn't force his will on us. He shows us his will through his word, right? Because he says in verse 7, do and observe according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. So he shows us his will, then wants our participation. 
So for Joshua, success came by listening and obeying. It came from acknowledging his inability and his own weakness. And for us, it's important to adjust our mind to God's way of thinking and understand his perspective of what victory and success looks like. Because sometimes that false narrative in our life, as we live in this blessed nation and as we think about, you know, maybe the American dream, the American dream isn't necessarily always what true success and victory looks like. The victories and successes that God has for us aren't all only these practical things. So maybe you haven't amounted to all that you want to be and you feel like God's blessing is not there. God's victory is not there. And I would just tell you that that's, that's a lie. And the enemy would love for you to believe these things. You know, read in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 through 8, I believe, in the Beatitudes. And you'll see the spiritual perspective Jesus gives. And the principles of the kingdom of heaven are often far different than what we would deem success and happiness and blessing here on earth. But we have to adjust our mind to God's way of thinking. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Now in verse 8, as he continues about this observing the law, that you will prosper where you go. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. The hope of God is rooted in the promises of God. But where do we find the promises of God? In the word of God. So if the hope of God is rooted in the promises of God, we got to find them in the word of God. And the, the word of God is so valuable in the, in the Christian walk of victory and in the Christian walk of rest. So often we're stuck in the plains of Moab simply because we're not reading and studying applying, meditating, and speaking the word of God. This was the instruction to Joshua to take the book of the law. For him at that point was just, it was not just, but it was the first five books of the Bible. We have Genesis through Deuteronomy. For us today, we have the fullness of the word of God. Genesis to Revelation. And I would believe no different instruction that God has for you and has for me, but to read this, study it, apply it, hide it in our heart, know the promises God has, walk in those promises, listen, obey, because this is where true victory comes from. Uh, I want to share a quote with you from a book titled Victorious Christian Living by Alan Redpath. Alan Redpath would say this in regard to this particular verse. He says, the greatest transactions of a man's experience are made not in a church, but behind closed doors. I'm going to repeat that and let it settle a little bit. The greatest transactions of a man's experience are made not in a church, but behind closed doors. Now, let's not de-emphasize the amazing work God does in a church. I've been here uh, for over 10 years in this church, and I can tell you I've seen lives change every week. I don't think that would be an exaggeration to say every week, someone that comes and fills these seats, their lives are encouraged and changed for all eternity. What an amazing thing. But to, to process the, what, what is being said in this word is like this can't be our full sustenance of our walk with God, of just attending church for an hour a week or two hours a week. 
but the sustenance that we have with God. This would be a supplement, but what Alan Redpath is encouraging is that there's a personal, private, regular, moment-to-moment relationship we have with God through prayer, through reading his word, and through applying the truths in faith and obedience. That's this picture of hope and rest and victory and all these things that God has promised. There is a condition of our participation that we see in this, but to walk in faith and in the grace of God, hey, he doesn't force his will, but he shows us how. And part of it is just through the simple reading and applying of his word. Of course, even in his word, just a thought I just had, I think I should share it. Because his word, as we live in this confusing, deceptive world and culture, his word is unchanging, just like his promises. I mean, the word of God is eternal. It has outlived every critic, and short of the rapture of the church coming soon and in our lifetime, it will outlive us. That the word of God is sure and true. What it says now is what it is say, you know, what it said in the past is what it says now, and it's what it is say in the future. The word of God is true and secure. Let's go to verse 9, and we'll start to, to wind down as he says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We see that there must have been something in the heart of Joshua that he just recognized and God recognized that there was a potential to be afraid. There was a potential to quit or to give up. That the conquest wasn't going to be easy. God gave a promise, wherever you set your foot, it's yours. I'm with you wherever you go. But he didn't say it was going to be easy. He, didn't, he said that as you go out there, you need to be strong and courageous, strong and very courageous, strong and courageous yet again. Don't give up. And, and, and for Joshua, there might have been another failure similar to his predecessor Moses had he not been just honest and, and, and reflective before the Lord, humble and submitted before the Lord, and knowing this, that yes, there is a potential I could mess up. Christian, as strong as we are in our maturity, we got to know we could be prone to shortcomings and failure. Lord forbid that any of us would be the next one that causes harm to somebody or does something to defame the name of Jesus Christ in the church. But we would also be unwise to think it couldn't happen to us. It couldn't be me. And to be strong and courageous is this, is understanding that, you know, that we need to just be honest and reflective before one another and honest and reflective before the Lord. And I've adopted this phrase that came out of a video from our grief share ministry, but I believe it applies far greater than just to grieving people, but to all of us as Christians. And it's this truth that says, God meets you where you are, not where you pretend to be, not where you wish to be. So God meets you where you are, not where you pretend to be, and not where you wish to be. So to meet, for God to meet me where I'm at, I need to be honest before the Lord. Not pretending to be in a better place spiritually than I am. And not only just desiring to be in a better spiritual place, but to be honest with where I'm at, to say, Lord, will you meet me right here? And God is faithful because what did he say to Joshua? multiple times, and the truth for Joshua is the truth for us, that the Lord is with you wherever you go. And so this hope 
would be a weapon for Joshua with all these promises. You think, you know, back in, in, in verse 2, I'm giving them this land, and everywhere you place your feet, I have given to you, as I said to Moses. In verse 5, that I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And in verse 8, when you listen and apply the law, your way will be prosperous, and you'll have good success. And then be not afraid or dismayed that the Lord is with you wherever you go. God is saying, here's the hope that you can hold on to. Here's the hope in my promises. And as you go out into battle, this is the weapon. One of the weapons you get is the hope and assurance that I've spoken to you. And one of the final points I want to make tonight, or today, excuse me, is uh, this thought of don't be afraid. Don't be afraid or dismayed. And, you know, a lot of times when we see afraid in the Bible, we think anytime we have an emotion of fear, it's sinful. And I, and I think that's a wrong perspective. Because fear is so often a natural emotion, and it's good that sometimes that, uh, an emotion of fear might creep up, that it gives us an alert and a warning. Because there's a difference between a healthy fear and an unhealthy fear. And a healthy fear speaks of reverence. It speaks of reverence. Like, you know, we, we have a, a respect, even like what we, the type of fear that God says to have of him, where it says, fear the Lord, to, be, to have a reverence for God. But an unhealthy fear would be one that would be motivated to action by intimidation or, in the more spiritual sense, to be unwilling to step out in faith and obedience. And I think for, in, in both ways we could face those in our Christian walk, to be motivated by intimidation. This is what the Bible would call the fear of man, that I do something or be a, for, to be a people pleaser. But on the other side of that, it's that we're hesitant. We're hesitant to go forth to the next thing that God has told us to do, where we get stuck or afraid to move forward. And that's the, the fear that God is speaking and, and telling Joshua not to be afraid of. And, and a verse for any of us out here that may be struggling in this area, a promise that I want you to hold on to. In 2 Timothy 1.7, it tells us, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So let's take our emotion Let's take our, you know, the, just everywhere we're at, our difficulties, and let's lay them before the Lord because his promises are true. You guys would turn one more, we haven't turned, we'll turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. I'm going to leave you with this thought and some final, you know, just some final things that just process in those difficulties you may be facing, but just bringing you back to a place of hope. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So with everything we talked about today, whatever difficulties you're having, don't lose hope because hope is there and hope is real and hope is unwavering. And, and I love what this verse says, that hope without our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Every promise of God is yes and amen. So why the difficulty and why the trial? Well, I, I can't answer the question why, and so often God doesn't either. But I will say this, that God uses trials and difficulties just like he did for Joshua to strengthen them. That where Joshua was in the plains of Moab before the conquest of the promised land, we can say for sure from Joshua chapter 1, to Joshua 24, that Joshua 24, he was a stronger man 
through going through that difficulty and facing what God had ahead of him. So although I can't say I'll have it all laid out of, of why the difficulties in my life and in yours, I can say this with assurance, that he allows those things for a greater purpose, and he wants to use it to strengthen us. So church, I just end you with this thought that hope is real, that hope is possible, that hope is tangible. And as we wind down and, and close down today's service, I'm going to invite Pastor Ian back out to close us in a song. But what I would encourage you to do, and I hope you allowed the Holy Spirit to show something in your life, that maybe it was a false narrative or deception that you've been holding on to, either about yourself or someone else. Maybe there, there's a difficulty in your life that's just been overwhelming, that you're in this place of hopelessness, that you wonder, what does it even matter anymore? Whatever that is, I want you to lay those down before the Lord today. Just know that it's not true. To know that everywhere you step your foot, Jesus said, I want you to have this place of victory. And you're not fighting towards victory. You're fighting from victory. But that's only a promise for those who are his. For those who have surrendered their life to Christ. Those who have acknowledged that it's not a righteousness in and of myself. But it's a righteousness that God has given to me. That if you've never given your life to Jesus, it starts that you have to acknowledge before God and confess before God that you have missed the perfect standard, that you have sinned and fallen short of his word, of the law of God. But you trust that Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life and died the death for every sinner, you and me and every man, woman and child, past, present and future. Jesus is the son of God, took that upon himself and he died on the cross. But the beautiful thing is, if you don't know Jesus today and you're acknowledging that and confessing that, you can also, you need to believe that he rose from the grave three days later, that Jesus defeated sin and conquered death, that he's alive today with this promise that I'm coming back. And I'm coming back in the greatest promise, the greatest place of hope is that place in eternity, to be with him in heaven to be in that, in that new earth and new Jerusalem as we see in Revelation 21. But to be there, it's not because you're good enough and you did more good than bad or were better than your neighbor. We get there because of faith and trust in what Jesus did for us. And for us as believers that have already made that profession, we know that there's more that God has. As, as Paul would say, for me to live is Christ. So to live is Christ. Let's trust and place our hope in him. Heavenly Father, we come to you in prayer right now, asking God that you would just demolish the falsehoods in our life, the misperceptions we have, the wrong perspectives we've been carrying. God, we ask your forgiveness. We know even as you told Joshua, be strong and courageous. There was this implication, God, that there was fearfulness and hesitancy. God, we want that boldness. So we're praying and agreeing, God, that that strength comes, that in my weakness and in my inability is where you can be made strong. As we know your word would say that, God, we pray that into our life and ask that into our life, that you would establish us and root us in this place of hope upon your promise. God, would you strengthen our time in your word, strengthen our time in prayer. God, help these words, be that we would meditate on your words, that they'd be so quick to come out of our mouth, that we would speak, God, in truth and in love, that we would be a light and a salt, Jesus, as you called us to be. So we're just trusting it all over to you, but also letting you know, God, 
that we're ready to come alongside and to yoke up with you to receive all you have for us. So we hope in you today and ask your blessing upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.